In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. It's time for Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright, here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Have you ever wondered if there's more to life than you're currently living? Then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Every week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. Guests will come from many different backgrounds, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. Every show is a dose of inspiration. This is Success Profiles Radio on the Rockstar Radio Network. And now, here's your host, Brian K. Wright. Hello and welcome to Success Profiles Radio. I'm your host, Brian K. Wright, and it is a pleasure to be with you here today. I'm honored that you chose to spend part of your day with me here, and this is going to be a really fantastic show. I'll be introducing my guest shortly, and I promise this will be a fun and informative hour. It'll be fantastic. I just want to take a minute or two to share some things I've been learning and thinking about lately, and I will do this every single week. This week, I've been thinking about leadership and management, and I realized managers tend to fall into two different categories, those who demand respect and those who command it. You may be wondering what the difference is because they sound like very similar ideas, so let me explain it. In my mind, demanding respect is attempted through intimidation and threats. In other words, you will respect and obey me or else. On the flip side, commanding respect means that you've done something to earn it, whether it's by something you've accomplished or by being the person you are. I think of people in my life who command respect, and I automatically think of people who are great listeners, people who care about others, and people who aren't self-serving in their motives. Demanding respect is about self. Commanding respect is about others. Demanding respect may have worked long-term many years ago, but in this new economy, many people realize they have choices, including moving on to a new company or starting their own business. If you are in a position of authority, you will experience a lot more success by focusing on the needs of others. By doing so, you will have longevity in the workplace, and that, my friends, is priceless. With all this in mind, I want to introduce my guest. And before I forget, let me give you the call-in number in case you'd like to call in and participate in today's discussion. That number is 866-404-6519. Once again, that's 866-404-6519. My guest this week is Tony Visich. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Tony is the owner of and head instructor at Comedy Schools. He teaches beginning and advanced stand-up comedy classes and sketch comedy. Starting his stand-up comedy career in Los Angeles in 1985, Tony Visage had been a national touring stand-up comic for over 19 years. His television credits include Evening at the Improv, Showtime, MTV, Comedy Central, Fox, and TNN. In the mid-1990s, he created and produced the television show TNN's Comedy Roundup. He has written for some of the top comics in the country, including Jay Leno, Jeff Foxworthy, Bill Hicks, Rich Schneider, and Craig Shoemaker. For many years, Tony owned his own comedy club and talent booking agency. Tony's workshops have taken people all the way from his free intro class to national television. Former students and alumni have appeared on Last Comic Standing, The Jimmy Kimmel Show, The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson, Episodic Television, and Commercials. And in 2010, longtime student Josh McDermott landed a part as a series regular on the TV show Retired at 35 starring George Segal. With all this in mind, here is my guest, Tony Visse. Hey, Tony, are you doing? there? I'm here. I'm doing fantastic. 
good. Well, fantastic. Welcome to Success Profiles Radio. It's an honor and a privilege to have you here. Well, it's an honor and privilege to be on the show. I appreciate it. Here's what I want to do. What I do with every single guest that I start with is I ask them to tell me a little bit about their background. In other words, how did this all start, how did this unfold, and what was the path that led you to where you are now? Um, if I knew that, I would probably be uh, wealthier because I would know what I've done. Um, okay. I started out, I mean, I looked, I was born in the Midwest. Um, there was no entertainment background uh, in my family, and I was born to factory workers and and uh, uh, people of that nature. I mean, wonderful people, but, but you know, lower middle class, working class people. Um, I took theater in high school, but it wasn't serious. Um, uh, after high school, I decided it would be more interesting to go out and live life and sit in a, uh, another classroom for a while. So I hitchhiked around the country a little bit. I was an asphalt worker. I was a roofer. I was a bricklayer. I was a movie projectionist. I worked at a grocery store. Uh... I worked in special ed for a long time. I just had a lot of different jobs. Uh, at some point, um, I went to college for a brief period of time and majored in theater, but it didn't really hold my interest. And at some point, I decided to leave the Midwest. Things were going really well. I kind of saw my life in front of me in the Midwest, even though it was going to be a good life. It wasn't the only life I want to explore, so I sold everything, quit all my uh, good-paying jobs, and split for California to study acting at the Lee Strasberg Theater Institute. While I was mm. in L.A., I worked a variety of jobs, factory jobs, construction jobs, bartender. Mm. Uh, it was the late 70s, early 80s. I'm not going to deny the fact I got very caught up in the, um, uh, the scene there, the more, libertarian, the more libertine scene. And then uh, around 1985, I had a serious lifestyle change when I gave up drugs and alcohol. And uh, I started hanging out with comics because I slept... It would help with my depression, and they started writing down what I was saying instead of me laughing. One of them suggested I become a comic. I did an open mic night. Three months later, I had my first paid gig. So that's, in a thumbshell, kind of how it went. Yeah. So what you're saying is you you haven't always wanted to do comedy. It was something that you accidentally discovered. Is that right? Yeah. You know, I was always... I'm not going to say, I, I was always funny. I could always make people laugh. I mean, in school, I made people laugh. I liked making people laugh. I liked telling joke jokes. Um, it never really occurred to me that you could actually make a living at it. Uh, I met a guy named Rich Scheidner in 85 who suggested that I, um, uh, that I uh, do, that I try this. And I said, well, how do you make a living at it? I said, and he goes, he, you know, he told me he made a, a good living as a comic. I said, how do you do that? He goes, well, the road, you go on the road. I, I had no concept of uh, that there were now beginning to be dozens, if not hundreds, of comedy clubs throughout the United States and Canada primarily where um, you could go and they would give you money to tell jokes. I was just stunned that that had, um, but, you know, that's America. We get, we take, we, and it's one of the cool things about America, if you look at it right, uh, we take something that people do for free every day, which is laugh, and say, mm-hmm. now give us some money, and we'll make you laugh uh, again. That's great. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, yeah. almost everyone, all of your listeners, most of the people that this is reaching, most people in this country have laughed at least one time today for free. Somebody, yeah. their wife, or, you know, have said something, they laughed. But we found, we in America found a way to be able to turn it into um, uh, a business, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it is very cool. In fact, that's an excellent 
excellent demonstration of something that I tend to, sh- to say on this show every once in a while. Sometimes your core area of genius in life is something you haven't tried yet. So try some things. You just never know what reveals itself to you. As long as you start putting yourself out there, you, you discover, you know what? I'm actually pretty decent at this. Why don't I try this some more? And it sounds like that's exactly what you did with comedy. You know, so I did that with comedy. And, um, uh, I, you know, recently uh, my fiance and I uh, started a kid's camp over the summer. We had a, 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 a background, but it was, it was a background way in the past working with children. I'd worked in special ed. She'd worked in education. But an opportunity came up, and I said, well, let's, let's learn this business. Let's learn the summer camp workshop business. Um, we were in a position to be, when I say we were in a position to do that, we're not wealthy. It's not like we were able to stop doing what we were already doing, you know, me running mm-hmm. comedyschools.com. <clears throat> Excuse me, here doing the other things. But we, said, but we were in a position where we said we, we're going to set aside the time, uh, and we're going to learn how to do this and see if it's something that, A, we enjoy, which is uh, important, and B, if it's <clears throat> something that we can profit off of. And uh, though we didn't profit off it this year, we profit enormously in spirit and in enjoyment and in learning a new skill and working with kids. And we, next year we think we'll do very well with it in the, uh, in the profit uh, arena as well. That's, that sounds fantastic. And I want to – we can certainly talk a lot more about Kids Camp later in the show because that is one of the items that I do want to talk about. Um, I want to come back to something that you said a little bit ago. You reached a point in your life where you sold everything you were doing and decided to move out to L.A. and start over. Was that because you felt like you were running towards something, or was it because you felt like you were sick and tired of where your life was now? That I, you know, you know, I, I, had, I thought there was something more. Now, keep in mind, I had, I had an excellent life in the Midwest. I was in my early 20s, and I had two really good-paying jobs. Uh, I worked as administrator now in, in a special ed home, and I was a movie projection at night when movie proje- being a movie projection paid very well. Uh, I was very set in that city. I uh, uh, had a lot of longstanding relationships. I'd grown up there. Um, uh, I was, you know, kind of keyed into the city. It's at the point in life where a young man about town and new club. I, look, I was having fun. I was having fun. Mm-hmm. I was making money. My life was kind of set to move forward with that life, but something mm-hmm. told me there was something else for me and that if I didn't try it, I would regret it forever. Not, oh, I'm going to go off and I'm going to succeed and this life is no good because that life was good. But um, yeah. I thought there's something else for me and if I don't try it, I always regret it. So, yeah. I mean, I went so far as I had, a, I had a union card. I had a stagehand union card and I said, if I hold on to this card, I will fall back. It may have been a mistake because you still have to make a living somehow, but I gave up my union card quit my job. Uh, uh, I, was ma- I was even managing a Pizza Hut restaurant at the time. And I quit that job. Yeah. Quit all those jobs. I sold everything I had. I sold the cars. I had two cars. I had the two cars. sold the two cars. I had a girl that wanted to go with me. We split in her car. We had no idea where we were going. go. We'd never been to Los Angeles. I drove across country. <clears throat> I got into Los Angeles. I saw a sign to Hollywood next eight or ten exits. I go, okay. I saw a sign to Hollywood Boulevard. I said, let's get off here. That's hmm. how that happened. But we, you know, we, we took the risk. Now, I was 23, which mm-hmm. is the time when you can you think, well, yeah, I can take risks. But what I discovered later on in life, uh, when I was uh, in my late 40s, early 50s, and I was no longer interested in touring as a stand-up comic, it had reached a certain plateau that I said, this is fine, but there are other things in my life that it's, it doesn't jibe with. I had gone through a uh, change in marital status, and I had... Um, 
joint custody of my daughter, and I wanted to spend a lot of time with my daughter. And I said, I have mm-hmm. to do something new instead of, you know, getting on a plane and splitting for the East Coast or Florida for four weeks and then coming back for two weeks. So um, I quit touring, and um, mm-hmm. I started a comedy workshop. That's great, and we are coming up against our first break. Uh, my very special guest this week is Tony Visage, who uh, has had a really nice career as a professional comedian. We will talk about some of his uh, other accomplishments and what he's currently doing right after the break. Please stay with us. This is Success Profiles Radio. Stay tuned. is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio, and we'll be back with more right after these on the Rockstar Radio Network. The IRS can and will track your income. Can you? It's time to bulletproof your taxes. Yes, bulletproof your taxes with host Nellie Williams, Fridays at 1 Eastern on the Rockstar Radio Network. As a business owner, you know that tax deductions can lower your tax liability, but deciding which expenses are deductible and how to claim them can be confusing, frustrating, and ultimately costly when you're wrong. Former IRS audit supervisor Nellie Williams will help you learn what is deductible and when to take that deduction to avoid raising IRS red flags. She'll teach you how to survive an IRS audit so you don't have to pay more tax, interest, or penalties. Each week, Nellie will be here to teach us as entrepreneurs and small business owners how to pay our fair share and not a penny more. Check out her website, BulletproofYourTaxes.com. Then join us for Bulletproof Your Taxes with host Nellie Williams, Fridays at 1 Eastern on the Rockstar Radio Network. Get the competitive edge and take your success to the next level with the Gold Medal Success Show and your host, Forrest Fisher, six-time U.S. National Gold Medalist. Tune in every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Central, 6 Pacific, here on the Rockstar Radio Network as Forrest gives you access into the mindset of true champions and helps you apply these success principles to your life and business for immediate results. Each show will feature guest athletes and business experts who have achieved tremendous success and are ready to share their stories of struggle, glory, tragedy, and triumph, revealing tips and strategies Forrest and these guest experts use to propel themselves to world-class success. Many people live their whole lives wanting more. The Gold Medal Success Show will demonstrate that anyone can have a more fulfilling and satisfying life when they put a few basic principles into play. Make every day game day. With the Gold Medal Success Show, each Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Central, here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio on the Rockstar Radio Network. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And we are back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Tony Visich, who uh, has a fantastic career in comedy. We spent the first segment talking about his background and how he very boldly sold everything and moved out to L.A. to start a new life and pursue a career in comedy. So what I want to ask you next, Tony, is... 
who are some of your comedy heroes? Who has influenced you, and who do you look up to? Um, well, you know, there's the um, uh, Lenny Bruce, of course, kind of created what is uh, a modern era of stand-up. You know, the uh, uh, the self-obsessed neurotic talking about his point of view. I mean, it's where it, it kind of split away from what was uh, the standard Catskill style of uh, stand-up comedy. Lenny kind of created it. It was then kind of perfected by people like Robert Klein and George Carlin, and then, of course, really Richard Pryor. So those guys, but as far as direct influences, people who I met in my life who um, uh, really influenced me, they're going to be uh, Rich Scheidner, Bill Hicks, Rich Jenny. I mean, those are the, uh, the three biggies as far as um, people who uh, not only uh, were able to access, access their artistic side, uh, but at the same time were able to be commercially successful um, with uh, 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 while not totally compromising what they're doing, being pragmatic enough to know, hey, I'm going to do the Tonight Show. There's things I can and can't say. I'm going to do the Letterman Show. There's right. things I can and can't say. But at the same time, finding a way to still say what they wanted to say within that forum. So mm. uh, those guys were incredible influences on me. Yeah. So you you got to be on the Tonight Show, and you were also on David Letterman. Is that right? No, 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 no. I was never. I I never did those shows. My friends did those oh. shows. Uh, I used to write jokes that uh, uh, for Jay Leno, you know, you would call Monday and go, here's my jokes, and you'd tell Jay your jokes, and Jay would say yes or no, and he's, he's a very uh, 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 intelligent, uh, not only is he a very funny and creative guy, but a uh, very, uh, very good businessman, and, and I learned a lot about joke writing from him, because I would call him up and tell him a joke, and he'd go, no, and, and I would sort of try to argue the joke, think it was an artist, you would have to argue the joke, and he goes, tell me, he goes, don't argue with me about that joke. I'm not going to do that joke. I do well, people laugh. He goes, I'm sure they did. He goes, but I'm trying to entertain the entire country, not 300 people in a nightclub. Hmm. That's a nightclub joke. Uh, that's a premium That's a premium cable joke. That's not a joke for the entire nation. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, what's another joke you have? And, and if he liked the joke, he would then want you to repeat it word for word. You would tell him the joke word for word, and then he would send you a check. So wow. uh, um, I learned a lot from him in that regard. I mean, a lot of my friends... We're on those shows, a lot of material that I wrote were on those shows, mm-hmm. and I was always proud of that. Yeah, is it, was that was that a hard relationship to establish? I mean, writing a joke and getting paid for it by a top comedian like that, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure that helped a lot financially for you. I mean, was that how did that come to you? It came to me because I had a joke about a, a guy. This is a long time ago, but uh, now. Uh, oddly enough, uh, I had a joke about a guy who wanted to be, I believe, Secretary of Defense, who had then come to light that he um, uh, he enjoyed uh, drinking a little more than he would want a Secretary of Defense to. And I told it to someone who knew Jay, and they go, that would be a perfect joke for Jay. Do you mind if I take that joke to Jay? And I said, no, not at all. And they took the joke to Jay. And, and what happened was a couple of days later, I was asleep, and my wife woke me up uh, and said, Jay Leno's on the phone. I said, shut up. She goes, no, Jay Leno's on the phone. And I picked up the phone, it was Jay Leno saying, I really like that joke. We want to do that joke on the Tonight Show. I would like to pay you X amount of dollars for that. And um, um, do you have any more jokes? And I immediately rifled through some papers I had. And he goes, all right. He goes, um, uh, I'll call you every Monday, or you call me every Monday at this time. If you have stuff I like, I'll use it. This will I'll pay you. If uh, not, then, then we won't pay you. <laughs> wow. Wow. That sounds awesome. So that was uh, yeah. a, a nice extra uh, icing on the cake then. It was. It was, a nice, it was a nice extra icing on the cake. I mean, 
you know, when you, when you look at pluses and minuses in your life, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, it was a plus. A minus was how I then handled it later on because I then found myself uh, putting a lot of my creative energy into writing jokes for Jay at a time when I was uh, uh, at the very beginning of my stand-up career, and I actually made a conscious decision, uh, which didn't bother anybody, you know, but I made a conscious decision that I wasn't going to put my creative energy there, put my creative energy into writing what I wanted to write working towards my career, and I kind of stopped doing it. I mean, you know, no one was heartbroken. No one called me up trying to stop me. Oh, no, you got to keep doing this. It was like, okay, good. Good for you. Right. But, uh, wow. uh, you know, but along the way, you make, you make a lot of decisions. You don't regret them. That's a, you know, you move forward. But that was yeah. the decision that I made. That's great. Are there some comedians currently working out there that you admire? I know you mentioned uh, comedians who uh, are gone or have influenced you early in your career. Are there current comedians working that you really admire and what they're doing? Yeah, there are. I mean, I, I think Louis C.K. is probably um, uh, carrying the mantle of, um, of what a pure stand-up comic is, you know, and has also found, and, and also found a way to be able to do it and, and make it commercially viable. In other words, you know, I mean, enough people will watch or listen that um, uh, he's going to, you know, make a nice paycheck off of it. I mean, he's absolutely brilliant. Uh, uh, Bill Burr, I believe, is uh, uh, absolutely brilliant. You know, he also uh, has a small part on Breaking Bad, small recurring part on Breaking Bad. It's always nice to see comics playing uh, uh, roles other than the comic. You know, he plays uh, one of the uh, uh, the lawyers kind of henchmen that, Whenever they need a small job done, okay. um, uh, he does that. So I think those two guys, there's probably others. I mean, you know, obviously Zach Galifianakis, and I think I said his name right. Uh, he did. He's a did. very, 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 very funny guy uh, who's also now been able to transcend it into motion pictures. I haven't yeah. seen um, uh, the campaign, but it's obvious that the campaign is a step to uh, move him away from uh, just entirely being the, uh, the socially inept misfit who causes yeah. all the problems for his normal friends, but we still yeah. love him. So, uh, you know, I hope, I hope it works for him because he's a great talent. Yeah. yeah, and he is very talented. In fact, before he broke it big in the movies and when he was still doing uh, VH1 uh, stand-up spotlight, I saw him perform his comedy act, and he was opening for Jeannie Garofalo <laughs> when I went to go see him. And, and they were both extremely funny. Jeannie Garofalo, you can tell why she and Ben Stiller are very close friends. They have the same sensibility. And Zach Galifianakis, I mean, he, he's just so off the wall and funny. I just, I laughed. It was, it was really an amazing experience just to see him perform. Let me ask you um, about a TV show that you did back in the 90s called TNN's Comedy Roundup. You created and produced that show. What was that whole experience like for you? You know, on its face, it was. On, on it, it, first off, let me say, as far as as far as a business venture, it was it was a failure. Okay, but it, as far as as far as uh, uh, an experience, it was an incredible success. So we created what was going to be hopefully a series, and up being three half hour specials for the Nashville Network. Okay. Um, but how it came about, just to let you know, and, I mean, and by the way, we, all of us involved made a couple of bu- made a couple of bucks off the deal. By a couple of bucks, I literally made a couple of bucks. You know, <laughs> um, uh, uh, I was in a hotel room or a condo, a place where they put you when you're touring as a comic, and I was flipping channels back and forth rapidly between uh, two diametrically opposed channels, like watching watching MTV and then watching a religious channel, and flipping them back and forth so fast trying to create your own movie. Uh, and I was watching this particular talk show on the Nashville Network 
where a guy who was like 900 years old was the host of it. Nice guy, but and I was just amazed at the show and amazed at what they talked about, you know, and how they talked about it and how it was like a separate universe. And anyway, the next day I was talking to the club owner. I was in Oklahoma City. I was talking to the guy on the club, and um, uh, stand-up was beginning to get balkanized somewhat. We were going, very, you know, first it was just, you know, whatever general topic stand-ups on the Tonight Show and et cetera, and then, you know, comedy specials. And now it was like, well, let's package them up. Let's have an all, there was a thing called uh, Ladies of the Night with uh, four or five female comics. And then there was mm-hmm. the early stages of uh, Deaf Comedy Jam, you know, all uh, African-American comics. And I was joking around. I said, where's the uh, Deaf Comedy Jam for rednecks? Where's the hillbilly? And he said to me, I went to high school with and I'm still friends with the son-in-law, the guy who owns the National Network. And I said, good for you. And he goes, well, we might want to, maybe we could talk to him. And we talked to him, and he goes, well, I have nothing to do with the network. But that didn't stop us. We went then and invested our own money and got a few comics and made a demo, what was then called a demo reel. We spent a couple thousand dollars, that's all it was, and we shot a demo reel. Here's what a show, like a six-minute demo reel of here's what a show like this would look like with a a lot of crawls, if you know what crawls are, with a lot of words where you had a voiceover. Explain. It, it was made specifically to be looked at by television executives. Mm-hmm. We gave it to the guy. He liked it. He took it to Nashville. Next thing I know, I get a call saying, you know, uh, you need to be on a plane to Nashville next week to uh, meet with executives from TNN. So my partners and I flew there and talked them into giving us an ironclad contract for X amount of money that we could then take to a bank. And the bank looked at it. And the bank was in Oklahoma City where the man who owned TNN lived and basically owned a lot of the city. And they went, well... Yes, sir. And they gave us a bunch of money and we made a television show. So That's it fantastic. came basically from an idea. A lot of my ideas just come out of boredom. Like when I was in St. Louis, I went, here's my life. This is what it's going to be like. It's a good life, but I'm bored. I'm going to California. Uh, I'm on the road. I'm making money as a stand-up comic. I'm supporting my family. I'm bored. Let's make a television show. Yeah. So, there you uh, go. Yeah, but, you know, but we did it. We made that television show. And... Um, from that show, we put a guy on who uh, was very humble and sweet and new and wore a cowboy hat and played a guitar. It was perfect for that demographic. He was also the reason why they decided not to move forward because they thought his jokes were too edgy for their network, which was more of a religious-oriented network. Right. We didn't really discover that until we, we got involved with them. But, mm. uh, we thought they were just a country network, but they were a conservative network. That's fine. That's their business. But right. the guy was very sweet and humble. I then uh, got a call from the evening at the improv producers wanting to know if there was anybody on my show, you know, that they, maybe they were missing people. And I told him about this guy. He put on my evening at the improv. Uh, his name's Rodney Carrington. He had his oh, yeah. show on ABC for years. He, uh, in 2009, he sold eight to ten million dollars in uh, eight to ten million dollars in gross revenue from concert touring. And, wow! Um, and uh, um, I I couldn't get him on the phone now to save my soul. <laughs> wow. Well, it's really interesting how those relationships develop and how people, uh, you know, relate, you know, relate and, and network together and help each other. That's that's really incredible. We are coming up against our next break. Uh, we are talking with Tony Visich, and we just finished talking about his show, TNN's Comedy Roundup. We'll talk more about his life as a comedian when we come back on the other side. Please stay with us. This is Success Profiles Radio. Thank you. 
is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio, and we'll be back with more right after these on the Rockstar Radio Network. Get ready for smart health with your host, Dr. Glenn Mia. Friday afternoons at 2 p.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Smart Health is a one-hour program dedicated to discussions, interviews, and news in the ever-changing world of medicine. Information leads to smart choices, and smart choices lead to a healthier lifestyle. That's the quote of host and broadcast journalist Dr. Glenn Mia, M.D. This magazine-style radio show is a fast-paced program bringing together medical experts, authors, and patients to examine what works and what doesn't in staying healthy. Dr. Glenn Mia is a board-certified physician in pediatrics and internal medicine. His philosophy to wellness starts with an investment. He says proper nutrition, rest, and exercise are the best personal investments to maintaining good health. So join us for Smart Health with Dr. Glenn Mia. Fridays at 2 p.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Are you the kind of parent who just wants their kids to live the life of their dreams? Well, grab your kids and join How to Raise a Millionaire Radio with Ann Morgan James and Jack James. It's a lively interview and call-in show, Thursday, 6 p.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. This dynamic mother and son team are on a mission. They want to empower kids to dream big and go after those dreams with gusto. They want to fill the world with kid entrepreneurs. Are your kids ready for success? Don't miss their fun annex, lively guests, and discussions. For more on Ann and Jack and their show, check out their website, howtoraisemillionaire.com. Then join the conversation of lively interviews and call-ins. And let's give our kids the tools and encouragements they need to build a future they can bank on, no matter what the economy throws their way. It's How to Raise a Millionaire Radio with Ann Morgan James and Jack James. Thursdays, 6 p.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio on the Rockstar Radio Network. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And we are back. This is Success Profiles Radio, and we are talking with Tony Visage, uh, comedian extraordinaire. And if you'd like to call in and talk to Tony and ask him a question or participate in our discussion at all, that number is 866-404-6519. Once again, that's 866-404-6519. So, Tony, let's talk about your career. We've talked about uh, you know, your TV show and how you, you basically decided to move to L.A. Let's talk about how your career specifically developed. I imagine... Imagine it's very difficult to develop a full-time career in comedy. We see the glamorous side of it, but we don't see all the heartache and hard work that goes into it. So talk about that for us, if you could. Well, I mean, you know, it'd be the same as asking someone who, you know, owns a successful chain of restaurants or owns a dry-cleaning place. And, I, I, I uh, you know, I don't mean to upset any young comics out there by equating them, but they, 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 are, they are similar in that it is, it is a business that's based on, uh, uh, putting out a good product and networking and, and uh, uh, a lot of other things. So it's difficult, but anything that you're going to do for a living uh, where you don't go and apply for a job and they give you an apron and a name tag, and those things are difficult too. I'm not putting those down. And anytime you decide to start your own thing, 
it's fraught with peril because there's no guarantees. So you have to put the guarantees aside. Yeah. Um, I started in the uh, um, mid '80s. Uh, what I didn't realize at the time was the crest of, of the, the '80s comedy boom. Like I said, some people, uh, uh, Claudia Lennar, who had been on Knott's Landing, was a friend of mine. A guy named Rich Scheidner, who was on the Ascension at the time, was a friend of mine. They suggest I go down to the Laugh Factory, told the owner of Laugh Factory, put me up. They put me up, uh, you know, a couple nights a week. Then I got a job in Phoenix as an opening act for 200 bucks, which stunned me, stunned me so much. I almost left without getting my pay. I still didn't wrap my mind around the fact they were going to pay me to tell jokes. Um, from there, uh, I got booked back there. You meet other comics. They tell you about other clubs. You start making phone calls. You make them phone calls like a salesman. You know, mm. like, like you're cold calling, you know, you're calling, instead of calling on, you know, uh, this restaurant to buy your, your meat or dairy products, you're calling a comedy club in Des Moines, Iowa, and going, my name's Tony Visick, I'm very funny, uh, uh, Rich Scheidner or Rich Jenny or Bob Johnson or, or Charlie Hoo-Ha uh, is a friend of mine and said I should call you and, they, you know, and they, I'm going to send you a video. At the time you sent videos, will you please look at the video and mm. if you like it, will you hire me? And, and they look at the video and they hire you or they call the friend or they call Charlie Hoo-Ha and go, and his kid called me, he's really annoying, uh, he's funny, and Charlie goes, yes, he is funny, and they go, all right, we'll hire you. You know, you get out there, and, <clears throat> and you do it, and you build up a network. You find out where the clubs are, and you go in, you do a good job, and hope they hire you back. Yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's... Absolutely it does. I mean, you're building a business just like uh, most of the entrepreneurs and speakers and authors that I've had on this show. You, you have to start somewhere, and you have to be willing to dig deep and just, just go for it, and... And leave your you know, fears friend, behind. It's, the first, it's... I, I even said there, the first year or two, I sat down, I kind of knew what the pay structure was for, uh, for entry-level comics, which, by the way, hasn't changed since, since I started. But, uh, and I was making more money as a bartender. I was actually mm. making quite a bit more money as a bartender. And I could have chosen to stay in L.A. and try to do the acting thing. But I was really intrigued by this touring and stand-up comedy thing. So I started saving money, knowing that I was going to be losing money every week that I went out. Yeah. Okay, with, okay, you know, saying I'm going to be investing in my career, and then for the first year, I lost money because instead of making six to eight hundred dollars a week as a bartender, I was making two to five hundred as a comic, plus paying my own expenses. But within a year or two, it paid off. It paid off nicely. Yeah. So patience is definitely an asset. If you're not patient, you're not going to make it. Well, you know, patience—you're either, you're either born with patience or you're going to be taught patience. One of the two are going to happen to it. What's going to happen? Yeah. You know, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> you're going to learn it. Absolutely. So do you think comedy is something anyone can do, or do you think that some people are just gifted at that? Uh, the answer is yes to both. You know, certainly people are gifted. I mean, you know, there's certain people who are phenoms at throwing a fastball, you know, but there still has to be someone who's going to be a catcher. You mm. see what I mean? Um, yeah. Um, there are, look, I, I, I had a discussion with an author one time who had written a, a big book on uh, 9-11, Richard Clark, and we were talking about writing. And he said, in the 1800s, there were about 50 people, in the state of mid and late 1800s, about 50 people in America who were talented enough at writing to make a living as authors. Mm. He said, nowadays, there's still probably about 50 people who are talented enough to do it, whether there was an industry or not, you see. Right. But then, there, then there's an industry. And once there's an industry, then they go, well, we can't wait for Mark Twain every five years to write a book or, or Harry Peter Stowe to write another, you know, we have to, you know, so, so then there's a broader outreach. There are, but as far as what you're talking about, as far as creativity goes, 
there are people who are gifted, okay? But by the way, if you don't work your gift, eventually you will lose your gift. It's like mm. if I gave you a bicycle. Let's say I gave you a brand-new Porsche. Here's a gift to you, Brian, a brand-new Porsche. It's your gift. You didn't have to work for that Porsche. You didn't have to do anything, and I gave it to you. I paid the taxes on it. I put the first tank of gas in it. The gift. You didn't have to mm. work for it. But then you never put oil in it, and you don't change right. the tires, and you don't get it service. okay? Mm. After a while, your gift will fall apart. Well, unfortunately, yeah. a lot of people who are born with a gift, you know, uh, and that gift is in the creative realm or whatever, if they don't then honor that gift and, and work that gift and work that gift out, the gift will go away. Gifts are yeah. not permanent. Yeah, you know? exactly. You know, on the other side of it, there could be someone who doesn't have the gift but has the desire mm. and goes, I am going to learn how to do this. Yeah. You know, when... when Anybody who you think, you can take the world of music, you, you know, you take two people who have lasted 40 or 50 years, Eric, Eric Clapton and Bob Dylan have both lasted almost 50 years now, right? Right. The amount of work and the amount of research, you know, and, and that they put into their gift is stunning. The hours of rehearsal, the hours of practice, the hours of going and finding those people that there were, were their influences and working with them, you know, whether it was Woody Guthrie or B.B. King, you know, uh, it's stunning. They never just went, hey, I just got it, baby. I just got it. I, I, can, I can put these words together in a magical way, or I can move my fingers this rapidly, and that's never going to go away. Right. So, uh, but you can learn how to do stand-up comedy. Stand-up comedy is a craft. It is, definitely. And I, and and I, I will be frank with you, uh, uh, a lot of very successful stand-up comics who I know are the majority of the time when they're off stage are not funny. You know, they're, uh, they're pretty serious. People, oftentimes introverted people, you know, mm. um, <clears throat> uh, uh, pragmatic people. They have a wide range of interests, you know, and um, uh, yeah. uh, you know they're not as interested in just sitting there, you know, cutting up all the time. Right, and you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I've read that uh, intro. Perverted people tend to be attracted to the performing arts because they get to be somebody that they normally aren't in everyday life. They get to project something else and be someone else, and that's a completely different phenomenon than who they may or may not be in real life. So I find that very interesting that you bring that up. You talked about developing your craft, and of course, learning how to write a good joke is part of that. So let me ask you a little bit about your philosophy of writing a joke. Do you start with a story first and come up with a punchline that fits, or... Do you have a punchline in mind and then create the story that works for that? Do you do it from top down or uh, bottom up? Mm, usually I do it from uh, a story, you know, and then the story leads to something. There's something that, look, let me answer it this way, okay? Because yes. that's, <clears throat> that question is not really, you can't really answer that question. You can, you can say someone goes, all right, uh, how about if a bucket falls in a guy's head and he doesn't notice it? until all of a sudden he starts bleeding. All right, now let's write a story around that. Right. Or you go, let's start with a person who, no matter what he does, things seem to go wrong. You know, but yet mm -hmm. he still keeps a, a, a sense of humor. You could do that, okay? Yeah. Uh, but here's the thing to know, okay, as far as writing jokes go, okay? Joke writing is dependent upon negativity, okay? Most jokes are a complaint made palatable mm -hmm. by making the complaint, you know, making it a parallel through a, some form of a punchline, something that makes it so you're just not complaining. You know, comedy is based on um, fear. People talk about what they're afraid of or what annoys them, you know. So, and what you're doing, in a sense, is then you are uh, aligning those fears. 
It's like when you you know you, you have a weird feeling in your stomach, and you, you, my brother told me the other day that he was positive that he had heart disease because he had a terrible pain. You know, so he had already said he had terrible pain, so he went to a doctor, and the doctor said, "No, you just got a bruised rib." You know, but he mm-hmm. had that fear. You know, so you act on the fear. You know, you don't go to the right. doctor, no pain, and go, "How's my heart?" You have right. pain. So it's the same thing with comedy. I have a fear that I'm gonna have a heart attack. But I'll, but, and I'm going to obsess about it. I'm going to have anxiety about right. it. Now, instead, I'll start making fun of it. And that'll yeah. the anxiety, and maybe I won't have the, uh, uh, the heart attack because I won't have <laughs> a lot of anxiety. I don't know if that makes sense. Okay. But, yeah, it does. Uh, I mean, I think it does make a lot of sense that most jokes are based on a complaint or based on a fear of something uh, or just or, foibles or of other people. Negative, yeah. you know, turn it a negative into a positive. I mean, once again, let's look at Jack Galton-Agonis. A human being that... Acts, or let, let's talk about Larry David, which is basically the same character that Zach plays, which is, you know, just oppositionally defiant, uh, socially inappropriate, inappropriate individual mm-hmm. who's always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing at the wrong time, etc. Uh-huh. They're both the same character, correct? Okay. Yes. So they, they asked uh, Larry David about that, and he said, they, he said is, is that you? And he goes, no. He goes, it's an enhanced version of me. You know, so what you're able to do is take a negative. I always say the wrong thing at the wrong time, all right? Uh, I always, I always, uh, um, uh, I'm, I'm accident prone. Uh, uh, I, uh, I'm socially inept, all right? Uh, when, I, when I eat, food falls out of my mouth, all right? This is who I am as a human being in the world. Those are all negatives. Okay. But then you turn it around into a positive by you making fun of it for our amusement and also for us to connect with because we all have some of that ourselves. The hundreds yeah. of thousands of people sitting out there can relate because they go, oh, I do that. So okay. that's some of what it's about. That's great. And we have less than a minute to our next break. I mean, when you are writing jokes or trying to be creative, sometimes you experience writer's block. Is there maybe one very, very quick strategy that you use? We've got about 30 seconds left before our break. Yeah, just start writing down nouns. Just start writing down proper nouns and regular nouns. You know, dog, cat, monkey, fish, water, St. Louis, baseball. Write them down, then write a sentence about them and go, this is my setup, and then try to create a joke around that setup. Okay, that sounds great. We are coming up against uh, our final break. It's hard to believe this show is getting close to the end already. We are talking, talking with Tony Visage. We're talking about his comedy career, really informative uh, uh, segment about uh, putting together a comedy career and how to write a joke. Uh, again, the great comics make it look so effortless, but there's usually a lot of effort that gets put into it. Not everyone is as funny as they think they are, but I'll tell you what, the good ones get rewarded very well. We are on Success Profiles Radio. I'm right back on the other side. The mission is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio, and we'll be back with more right after these on the Rockstar Radio Network. Are you powerless to stop making choices that hinder your happiness, your peace of mind, your sense of fulfillment, or success? Have your choices resulted in broken relationships, job losses, and financial chaos? Then be here for Strategies for Healing from Addictions with your hosts, Gary and Sharon Worrell. Monday mornings at 9 a.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Strategies for Healing coaches and empowers and seeks to help people discover their goals and reach those goals quickly. Provide structure, tools, and perspective to help clients accomplish more in their lives. 
to encourage clients to think bigger and realize their full potential. Strategies for Healing endeavors to see each individual come to a place of purposeful living apart from addictions. Check out the website, strategiesforhealing.com. Then join us for Strategies for Healing from Addictions with your host, Gary and Sharon Worrell. Monday mornings at 9 a.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. If you've ever been confused about the facts surrounding non-surgical rejuvenation and cosmetic plastic surgery, we're pleased to introduce to the Rockstar Radio Network audience, Spirit Lift, Plastic Surgery for the Soul. Each Thursday at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, host Kim McKenna and plastic surgeon Dr. Sadi Irfani will help dispel the myths surrounding this exciting field and lift the veil of mystery on a very important topic. With advances in nutrition and self-care, many of us want to look as young and vibrant outside as we feel inside. Plus, listeners will be able to call in live and share their questions and get advice on the air. A show where you will learn how to look and feel your best and be your best. Join us to have your spirit lifted on Spirit Lift, plastic surgery for the soul. Each Thursday at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern on the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio on the Rockstar Radio Network. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And we are back for our final segment. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Tony Visage, and we're talking about his comedy career. And I want to talk about something, Tony, that is near and dear to your heart right now that you're working on. You have taken your experience as a comic, and you now teach it, and you have developed comedy schools. So how did you come up with this, and how did it all start? Uh, I started ComedySchools.com. That's the name of the uh, the company and uh, an easy way to... Okay. And access it on the web, comedyschools.com. I started in uh, 2001. I wanted to um, stay in the business, but I didn't want to stay. I didn't want to tour anymore. And uh, some people actually came to me who um, had already started a couple of comedy schools, and they knew that I had a lot of connections in business, et cetera, and they wanted to um, tap into that. So we kind of formed a little business together. And um, I started one in San Diego, and I started one in Phoenix. And the one in Phoenix just exploded you know, it became uh, huge. It became a very popular thing it's for this for a niche market workshop of, of its nature, and uh, became very successful commercially and uh, uh, creatively. And that's how I started. I have been doing it continuously now since uh, excuse me since uh, June of two thousand one. Mm. Wow, so, that's uh, I, and currently we do it at the Tempe Center for the Arts, which is uh, one of the most stunning buildings in, in Arizona and probably even in the West. If people haven't seen it, they should they should check it out. It's like something yeah. you would see in New York or San Francisco or Paris. So we yeah. teach our workshops and do our shows here, and uh, and uh, I love doing it. I love I love teaching stand up comedy. That's great. So you start out with a free intro class to orient people to the. You just totally went away. Totally went away. Okay. You, you start, I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes, yes. Oh, okay, good. You start people out with a free class that you use to introduce them to the, to the curriculum. Tell us about that. Absolutely. Well, you look, money is hard to come by. 
right? Yeah. And uh, uh, you want to spend your money properly. So I never want anybody taking my workshop for two or three weeks and going, wow, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. So we do a free introductory class. We do it every five or six weeks. The next one is August 27th at 7 p.m. at the Tempe Center for the Arts. It's uh, two or three hours where we lay out the entire program for you. And it's absolutely free. And there's no hard sell. You know, it's not, uh, uh, we don't, you know, there's no shakedown on it. Afterwards, you come up and you talk to us, say, I would like to sign up for the workshop. We sign you up or you say we had a wonderful time and, and you're, you're off on your merry way. But we do do a free intro so that people can know exactly what they'll be getting into uh, if they mm-hmm. decide to move forward with this. Yeah. That's awesome. So you have a beginning class, an intermediate class, and a sketch comedy class. Does that... No, it's, it's not exactly. I have a beginning stand-up comedy class, an advanced stand-up comedy class, and then currently we are doing... We're, we're getting ready to start the sketch comedy class again. But we also have an improv teacher who teaches uh, uh, standard improvisation, a standard improvisational workshop. So we have yeah. classes at the Tempe Center for the Art Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We're going to be starting a sketch class in another location soon. We had that for a long time. We had to change locations, mm. put that on hiatus until uh, uh, until uh, the fall. Yeah. But yeah. I'll tell you what. I was, I was going to say, I, I love watching improvisational comedy. I mean, one of the shows called uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? I think really brought sure. that to, to a lot of people in terms of the mainstream. I love the original British version. I, Clive Anderson is hysterical. So so straight-faced, and, and, and it, it, he's just funny. And, and, of course, the cast of characters that he gets to work with. And, of course, Drew Carey did a fantastic job with the American version as well. Is, is that something that you – I mean, is that kind of how you structure your um, improv classes? Exactly. It, 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 improv, is, improv was originally started by a, a group of people. There's a woman named Viola Spolin who wrote a book called Something Wonderful Right Away. They started a series of exercises for comedic actors. Uh, Viola Spolin's son was a guy named Paul Sands. And uh, what they did was they took the exercises. They, they had a group called the Compass Players that were doing short-form, funny, kind of blackout kind of... Uh, uh, kind of like, you know, burlesque had died, but there was, it was the blackout kind of hell's a popping burlesque kind of thing. So kind of got revived in the 50s, only with mm. kind of a, a beat generation vibe to it. And the exercises that they used to create these sketches then became improv. So they started actually putting the rehearsal on the stage for audiences. Kind of what you're seeing is, because what you're seeing is unfinished product. You know, give us a name, a place, you know, here's who you yeah. are, this is it, now act it out, here's some rules. What you're really looking at is unfinished product. It's one of the few uh, entertainment art forms that is unfinished product that can be successful. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so let me ask you this, uh, Tony. You've had some very successful students who have gone through all of your training. Tell us a little bit about what is possible for people who enroll in your curriculum and uh, talk about some of the most successful students that you've had and what they've accomplished. All right, so first off, let's talk about what's possible. So let okay. me say this first off, okay? I am learning how to play the guitar, okay? In my 50s, I'm learning how to play the guitar, uh, I got some books, and I got some teachers, and I'm going to play the guitar. I have no illusions that I will ever become the next whomever, okay? Mm-hmm. But I love playing the guitar. So what's possible is to access something at a minimum, at a minimum, to learn how to do something you always wanted to do. At a maximum, you can go on to, yes, incredible fortune and fame. Uh, we've had people who have done our workshops who have gone all the way to do a national television show, television, do a national television, and we have someone who now is a, a regular on a series, called Retired at 35 on TV land. Josh McDermott is a regular on the series with, uh, uh, you know, legendary funny man and dramatic actor George Seagal. 
So he started in our workshops in Phoenix, you know, coming to the Tuesday, the Monday night beginning class, the Tuesday night advanced class, uh, uh, and worked and worked and worked and worked and moved to Los Angeles and got an agent and is now uh, uh, extremely successful and a wonderful guy. So the great thing, it is, it is one of the few Horatio Elger stories left in America um, where anybody can and oftentimes, many times, not oftentimes, many times people do, where you can go from being that kid standing by the side of the road kicking rocks to living uh, the American dream, or at least, you know, the, the commercial, the, the materially successful American dream. Hmm. You can do that. You can really do that. And I've known people, matter of fact, everybody who, I, who we've spoken about today started that way. You know, uh, Richard Jenny uh, was a, a kid living in Brooklyn, Bill Hicks, you know, his dad was a oil executive in Texas, but it wasn't, they weren't, you know, particularly rich. You know, Rich Scheidner's dad was an insurance salesman. I could go on and on and on and on and on. And these are guys who then went, a lot of these guys, Bill Hicks took workshops, Rich Scheidner took workshops, et cetera, and he took workshops and they went out and continued to work and they became massively successful. So it's possible. It can happen. Yeah. That's great. So let me let me ask you something that I probably could have asked a little bit earlier, relating to your own career. I mean, do you have a favorite story from the road that you like sharing? Yeah, no, you know, I mean, there were so many wonderful things that happened. You know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, the, the you know the, the story I told earlier, just having this idea when I was bored and it turned into a television show, was a wonderful thing. Or spending a week just hanging out with someone like Rich Jenny or Rich Scheidner was an incredible thing. Or um, um, uh, I, you know, it's, it's such a nutty, fun kind of thing. I was on a plane. I was supposed to be doing a, a gig in, in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, and all of a sudden as the show started, we've had an emergency landing in Pittsburgh, but then they say we're taking off, and I'm calling on the old phones in on the plane, going to start the show, I'll be there, and, and, uh, and actually running through um, uh, Reagan Airport, you know, and grabbing a cab and getting there five minutes before they announce my name. You know, wow. there's, you know... You know, it's funny because, let me say this, okay, my, my friends wrote a book called I Killed, Stories from the Road, and they came to me and asked me to tell them stories from the road, and this is what I told them. I said, at the time, I said, I have a 12-year-old daughter. She's not reading any of that. Brian, let me say this. She's now 22, and I also have a fiancé. I'm not telling you any of those stories. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's that's certainly fair. I'm sure there's there's a lot of stuff out there that uh, probably stays with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me ask you this. Um, we're you know coming to a close here shortly in just a few minutes. But uh, let me ask you, who who inspires and motivates you? What gets you up in the morning? Well, you know what gets me up in the morning is just the chance to do all kinds of new stuff. The chance that you know, you know, I was going through a serious uh, uh, depression one time, and not depression, but I, you know, and I was sitting in my garage smoking. It's when I still smoke. And I had my daughter, and she was like three, still asleep. And I went, I pretty much know how this day is going to go. Now it's up to me whether I enjoy it or not. And every day I get up, and I, mean, I don't want to sound weird, but every day is, has incredible possibilities. Every day has incredible possibilities. You know, the richest man in the world and you and I have the same amount of time. Yes. The most creative person in the world has the same amount of time as you and I. So when you tell yourself, I don't have time or I can't, or any of the blocks that people put on the way to trying something or, oh, it won't work. You know what? You want to know something that probably won't work? Nine out of ten things I've tried in my life have not worked. But, oh, that tenth one. 
Oh, that kind of We're getting ready to do a bunch of new things now with ComedySchools.com and promoting shows, and uh, and we don't have to. We don't have to. It, it, it's not going to buy us that Mercedes, okay? You know what I mean? It might buy us that Mercedes, but that's not the reason we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Every day I get up and go, man, the day is just full of possibilities, and I can make this. Uh, I can make this a really cool. This can be a really cool day. Sometimes they're not, but oftentimes they mm-hmm. are. No, no one. Yeah. You know, I was talking to someone the other day, and they go, "Why are you?" Because I'm having all these uh, checkups done and stuff. I go, "I want to make sure everything's ready for the next 20 years." They go, "You never know what's going to make you happy." I go, "When I lost my uh, a business of mine in the 90s, and I thought it's over for me, I didn't imagine that you know 10 years later I'd be sitting in a 70 million dollar building in Tempe where I get to do shows and talking to you on the radio, and 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 now I have grandchildren and a home and all this. You never know. You never know. That's what gets me up." You never know. Wow. That's great. And I, I love what you shared that every day has incredible possibilities. And, and what you do with your time will determine your success because everyone has the same amount of time. That is so true. As we wrap up this uh, show, Tony, tell us how people can look you up, get a hold of you if they want to enroll in your free class, or, or basically how can we connect with you? All right, we have a website, and the website is comedyschools.com. That's easy enough to find. Uh, it's comedyschools.com. We have a phone number, yes. uh, and that phone number is 818-571-JOKE, 818-571-JOKE, R5653. You can also look us up on Facebook at comedyschools.com. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, those, that's how you can find us, find out uh, who we are and what we do, and see if you're interested in coming down to our free intro, August 27th at the uh, Tempe Center for the Arts. Like I said, okay. it's a fun night. I guarantee this. Anybody who comes to that free intro, mm-hmm. right, even if you don't sign up, and a lot of people come and don't sign up. I have a lot All of right. people who come home. All right. Well, we are to the end of our show. Thank you for being on Success Profiles Radio. Tony, join us next Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern for another fun-filled episode of Success Profiles Radio. I want to thank my friend Andrew Freeman for connecting me with Tony so that this interview could be possible. And you all have a great week. See you next week. Thank you for being a part of Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright, here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Each week, we'll 